do you realise that you are right now in the presence of the Almighty God, the One who created the heavens and the earth? He knows how many grains of sand there are in the whole world. He knows every drop of water that is in the ocean. And He knows everything about us to the number of hairs on our heads. And He is the Almighty God. He is the loving Father and He is also the righteous judge. He is all-powerful, all-knowing and He is love. How can we not stand in awe and come into His presence with respect and gratefulness. He is amazing. Nothing can compare to being in the presence of our God, our Father. So we're doing a series at the moment, The Awe of God. And John Bevere, who is a teacher that I respect so much and I love his teaching and preaching, he has brought out a new book called The Awe of God. So if you want to delve deeper into this topic, um, buy the book or what I've been doing is watching the YouTube videos of him preaching and just getting what this awe of God means into my spirit. And when you do get that revelation, it is life-changing. So I thought I would start with the definition of awe. Now, this is the definition from the dictionary, and it just, I was like, wow, that is everything I wanted to say right there, and it's from the dictionary. It's a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. A feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. See, the awe of God and the fear of God actually work hand in hand together. And so throughout this series, you would hear us talking about the fear of God as much as we are talking about the awe of God because they work together. And today, I want to take you on a bit of a journey. We're going to talk about the book of Exodus, where God had um, the Israelites were in the land of Egypt and they were enslaved and he brought them out. He delivered them from their slavery with amazing signs and wonders and miracles that you could not help but be in awe of who he is. And I want to go through it because it shows us the love of God for his people and also the power and might of God that we should be in awe of. Because we, there's a danger at the moment that we could just preach and teach and know about one part of God but we need to know all of God. There's the loving Father on one side, but there's also the righteous judge on the other. So we need to have the love of God, but we also need to have the fear of God. And by having them both, it keeps us on the straight path in the middle. So who knows that the Bible is not just a storybook? Like we read these stories and sometimes we can read them as if they are fictional stories. But that's not what it is. It is history. 
it is truth. So for your sake, for time, I'm not going to read all of the story of the Exodus because that goes from chapters 3 to 14 and it's a bit long. And I don't think my voice could handle that. <laughs> so I'm going to be doing a quite a bit of summarising, so bear with me. But it starts in Exodus chapter 3 where God meets Moses in the form of a burning bush. Can you imagine you're in the wilderness and you just see this bush on fire yet it's not being consumed, it's not burning up. Like this is the first miracle that Moses actually sees right there, is this burning bush and he meets with God there and God speaks to him from this bush. And he tells Moses that Moses must go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Now, Moses wasn't too convinced that he wanted to do this, and so there was a bit of toing and froing. But God showed Moses some more miraculous signs, showed him that he was with him by saying, All right, you're holding your shepherd's staff there, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake. Now, that would have the fear in me. <laughs> and, um, and then he says, pick it up by the tail. I'd be like, oh, you're sure here? <laughs> but he picks it up by the tail and it turns back into a staff. God gives that to Moses as a miraculous sign that he can perform to both Pharaoh and the Israelites to show them that this is actually God speaking through Moses. So Moses goes back to, um, goes to Pharaoh and he meets with him and says that the Lord has told him to let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honour in the wilderness. Now, Pharaoh's response to this is crazy. So chapter 5 verse 2 says, Is that so? And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Whew. That is, uh, there's no fear of God there, is there? Not even a little bit. Wow, that is defiance. That is defying the Lord God. Now, I have far too much fear of God in me to ever defy God like that. <laughs> like, you know he's going to get what's coming to him. <laughs> So it shows that he neither respects God or stands in awe of him or has any fear of God. In fact, after this encounter with Moses, Pharaoh made it harder for the Israelites in Egypt. He punished them by saying, well, now you still need to make as many bricks as you were before, but I'm not supplying the straw. You have to get that yourself. All right, so now we move to chapter 7, and this is where God starts sending the plagues on Egypt, which displays his power and shows Pharaoh exactly who the Lord is, because Pharaoh's saying, I don't know the Lord, and God's well, well, let me show you <laughs> that he is all-powerful. So the first plague was the plague of blood, and this is where God turned all the waterways in Egypt into blood so that all the fish died and the water was not drinkable. Now, that would get my attention. You would think it would get Pharaoh's attention as well. But Pharaoh actually got his magicians and says, can you do that too? 
well, his magicians turned water to blood and he's like, eh, big deal. He, the Bible says he put it out of his mind and went back to his palace. How can you put every waterway in your land being destroyed out of your mind and just go on with your day? But that's what Pharaoh did. There is no respect for the Lord there at all. There is only defiance. So it was going to take more than one plague to cause Pharaoh to respect God. So a week later, God sends the plague of frogs on Egypt. Now, this isn't just um, frogs in your front yard situation. This is frogs going into your house. The people were kneading the dough. The frogs jump into the dough, into the cooking. And it's a nightmare. They even go into Pharaoh's palace and onto Pharaoh's bed. So this, this is kind of getting Pharaoh's attention. He's getting a bit ticked off now. So he goes back to Moses and says, all right, ask your God to get rid of the frogs and then I'll let your people go. Pharaoh prays to God. The frogs all die. They're sweeping them up in heaps and, or some go back into the Nile. And um, Pharaoh, of course, says, nah, not letting you go. So we've already had the staff turning into a serpent, the waterways turning to blood with all the fish dying, frogs everywhere, but he's still not letting the people go. So this becomes a bit of a cycle. God sends a, um, a plague. Pharaoh says, take it away, I give up. And then as soon as it's gone and he no longer has the, um, the burden, he's like, no, nah, no way am I letting you go. So we have the plague of gnats, or the plague of flies, a plague on the livestock that killed all of the livestock that belonged to the Egyptians, but none of the livestock that belonged to the Israelites. So God made a distinction between his people and the Egyptians. His people lived in the land of Goshen, and the plagues did not touch that land or the people that lived there. So God was protecting his people from these. So then there was a plague of festering boils on the Egyptian people and animals. Then a plague of hail, a plague of darkness. And finally, there was um, the Passover. So this is where every firstborn male, whether it be um, animal or child, in every Egyptian household died. Again, the land of Goshen, God's people were saved by the blood of a lamb. They followed the instructions of God because they feared him and they followed those instructions and meant the angel of death passed over their houses and only affected the Egyptians. And it says in the Bible there was not one household in Egypt that didn't suffer a loss that day. So it took nine plagues and the death of every firstborn male in, Jesus, in Egypt for Pharaoh to fear God. At this point, Pharaoh in chapter 12, 31 says to Moses, get out and take all your people with you. So he is at the point, he's had enough and he wants this gone. because he And the people in Egypt are saying, we're going to die. We need these people gone. So not only did um, Pharaoh let the people go, but he caused, God caused them, the Egyptians to look favourably on the Israelites and give them anything they asked for. 
So in that one day, the Israelites were set free and they stripped Egypt of all its wealth. So because Pharaoh didn't fear God, they lost all the fish, all the livestock, every firstborn male, and now their wealth was taken because Pharaoh would not fear and submit to God. So after witnessing everything that happened then, if you were one of the Israelites, how could you not be in awe of God? This is the God we serve. He is our deliverer. And no situation is impossible for him. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. However, once the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials had a change of heart, it says. So in chapter 14, verse 5, they say, what have we done? Letting all of those Israelite slaves get away. So even after all of that, Pharaoh still did not fear God. He's like, hang on, we've made a terrible mistake. So he sends all of his army, all of his chariots, all of his commanders, all of his forces after the Israelites. I just find that unbelievable. After you've seen these displays of what God can do. So the army pursued Israel with all of its forces and they had them cornered at the Red Sea. So there was nowhere for the Israelites to go and there was a huge army surrounding them. How do you think you would be at this point? Would you be full of faith because you've already seen God's um, power displayed and you're in awe of God? And you know that he is delivering you? You've just seen the angel of death pass over your house and you've just been made rich by the wealth of Egypt. Surely you would be filled with faith that your God can do anything. Well, let's have a look at how the Israelites responded. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 14 for a minute with me. So Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to start with verses 11 to 14. And they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we're in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Look at the difference between the Israelites' reactions and Moses' reaction. After everything they have just been through to be delivered out of Egypt, they are crying out in fear and saying, we are dead. There is no hope. You've brought us out here to die. What were you thinking? And they're not just saying that to Moses. They're actually saying it to God because God is the one that brought them out of Egypt. But Moses' response was full of faith 
and awe of what his God can do. He's like, just chill out. It's all good. God's got it. We're fine. Just stand and watch. Stand back. Watch what the the Lord can do. So they went to a place of worry. And I know that we can do that at some at times too. Like it's one thing while we're at church on a Sunday, praising and worshiping God and experiencing his presence, and then something happens in our life, and instead of running to God and that faith and his presence, instead we go to worry and stress and we start blaming God. Why did you do this to me? That's not having the fear of God in you. That's not coming to God with respect. That's blaming God for what's going on in your life instead of asking for his help. So we're going to read on from verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. I almost feel like God's a bit annoyed in that sentence. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so that Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots, his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord." So we've gone from Pharaoh going, who is this Lord of yours? I don't know him. Well, God's saying, I'm going to show them. And they're going to know who the Lord is. So our God is a God who makes a way where there is no way. Nothing is impossible. But he parted the sea. The Israelites went through it. And once every Israelite was um, over the other side of the Red Sea, they crossed it on dry ground. The Egyptians came in after them. As soon as they were out, the waters just flooded back in and the Egyptians drowned. Because of their defiance with God, if they just let the people go, it would have been a different story. And I don't want that for anyone here where it takes you having to go through hardships and battles for you to fear God. And I want you to know that God has made a way for each one of us. As I said before, God is the same God yesterday, today and forever. So just as God parted the ocean, he did something pretty incredible for us as well. So I want to read from Matthew 27 verse 50. Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. Just as God parted the sea for the Israelites, he parted the curtain that stood between us and the presence of God. So this curtain was not just an ordinary curtain. This was in the temple and behind this curtain, which was extremely thick, you you can't just tear this curtain, it was very thick and behind it was the Holy of Holies, which nobody could enter 
except for one person, and that was the high priest. And he could only enter it once a year. And when he entered, what they would do is tie a rope around his waist so that if he went in there and died in the presence of God, they could pull him out. That's what it was. You could not enter that holy of holies. However, God made a way for us to enter his presence and the holy of holies. He parted the curtain and made a way where there was no way. So through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father. And we, he loves us. He wants a relationship with us, but he also wants us to respect and revere him for who he is. Yes, he is our Father, our loving Father, and we can come to him as our Father, but we also need to come to him as respect, with respect and honour and glorify him. That's what it is to fear God and to stand in awe of him, is to know that he loves you, but to also come to him with reverence. All right, so we're going to turn our attention back to the Israelites after they crossed the Red Sea. Now, this is two months later. They arrive at Mount Sinai. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 20. I'll give you a moment. So it's Exodus 20, verses 18 to 20. So this is at Mount Sinai. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is an amazing scripture to teach us about the fear of God. It almost sounds like Moses is contradicting himself a little bit, because he says, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that is fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. But what this shows us is the fear of God is not being scared of God. So their first reaction when they saw God's might was to be scared. But God is saying, no, don't be scared. I'm testing you to see if the fear of the Lord is in you, if you respect me, if you revere me, so that you will not sin. Because like I said before, we've got the love of God on one side and the fear of God on the other. If we go too far to the love of God and ignore the fear of God, we're going to get caught up in sin because we know he's going to forgive us and we're talking about his grace and his love and, and that which is wonderful, yes, but you also need the fear of God or you're not going to stay right with him. You're going to fall into sin. And that's where we find a lot of churches are today where they tolerate a lot of sin in the church and they almost um, lift up sin 
and say that it's fine, it's okay. They tolerate it because they're only talking about the love of God. Whereas if you talk about the fear of God as well, you can go too far into the fear of God and then you're just picturing God as this person. If, if you step out of line, bang, like that's not God either. You know, there is the fear of God and the love of God and the two working together keeps us on the right path. The fear of God will stop us from sinning. The love of God will forgive us when we do fall short. So we need both. A person who has the fear of God is not scared of God, but is terrified of being away from God. That's how John Bevere explains the fear of God. It's not being scared of him, but it's being terrified of being away from him. I remember when I was a new Christian, I got saved in this church when I was 15, and I absolutely loved going to youth group. It was the highlight of my week. And I remember after youth group was over, Pastor Sharon was going through with me and another person, like some new Christians stuff, just some teaching of the basic fundamental things. And a little while after that, we were at youth group and Pastor Ian or Pastor Sharon, they were our youth leaders at the time, I can't remember which one, said, who here feels like if they were to die, they won't go to heaven? Well, I put my hand up and you could see in their faces, they're like, hang on a minute, we've gone over this, you're good Sharona, it's okay. And, and they said, well, what makes you think you won't go to heaven? And I said to them, I'm like, well, I know that if I die right now, I will go to heaven, but I'm scared that when I get older, I will turn my back on God. And if I die then, then I won't go to heaven. And they said something to me, it was Pastor Sharon said to me, and it really hit deep for me that she said, that's not going to happen because you are scared of it happening. That means you have the fear of God in you and the right attitude. The person who fears God has nothing to hide and runs to God, not away from God. People who are scared of God have something to hide. Look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Once they had sinned, they hid from God because they were scared of him. We need to have the fear of God inside of us. When we approach God, we should be approaching him with high regard and we should be treating his presence as holy. We need to respect him and give him the honour that he deserves. And this will keep us on the right track. It will keep us moving forward. It protects us. The fear of God protects us and causes us to draw closer to him and to place him as number one in our life, which is where he needs to be. So how do we know we have the fear of God on the inside of us? What is the outworking of the fear of God? One of the first things that you will know if you have the fear of God in you is the more you fear God, the less you will fear other people. So the more you fear God, the less you will be worried about what other people think of you. Like I remember as a new Christian being a little bit like, oh, should I put my hands up? Are people watching yet? Oh no, everyone else is doing it, it's okay. Or if you're feeling God talking to you when we're saying, would you like to come out the front because of this? 
do you stand back and go, oh, nah, oh, look, no one else is going out. I'm not going, oh, maybe if a few other people go, maybe I will. I mean, we all go through that. Okay, we all do. But I'm saying if we fear God more than we fear what other people think, we'll be out here straight away because we know that God's calling us to. The other outworking of having the fear of God on the inside of you is obedience to God. When you know that you are fearful of God, not fearful, but you have the fear of God in you, if you are willing to obey him, no matter what it is, no matter what the cost, even if what he's asking you to do does not benefit you in any way. Or what if what he's asking you to do will make you feel a bit embarrassed or a bit silly, like, oh no, I can't ask that person if they want to come to church because, yeah, that'll just be awkward. But if we have the fear of God inside of us, then we are obedient to what he is speaking to us. And I know that's what I want. And I know sometimes I fail and God is there to forgive me. But we need to have both sides. We need the love of God and the fear of God. And the more we fear God, the closer we are to him, the more we will obey him and um, the more protection from sin we have. So as we come to a close today, because I really wanted, I really felt God wanting to help us all to understand what the fear of God is and how it works within us. And so I hope that this word today has helped you to understand a bit more about God. But I also want this morning for us to have an encounter with God. So we're going to have a prayer time and then we're going to have some worship time. And like we did before, I could see people here had the fear of God. I was actually looking around. I'm like, wow, everyone's, almost everyone is really engaged in worship right now. And that's why the presence of God was so strong here. And we want to experience that um, in the closing of this service too. But first, I want to give an invitation. So if we can just all close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment. As I said before, our God is an amazing God. He does the impossible. He makes a way where there is no way. And He made a way for each of one of you here to come to Him. That temple curtain was torn in two so that you can experience the presence of God. Jesus died on the cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins. So I want to give you an invitation right now. If you want to know God, if you have never accepted Him as your Lord, if you've not come to Him, I want to ask you to raise your hand if you want to say yes to Him today. Who here would like to say yes to God? Yes, I want to know you more. Yes, I want you in my life. Yes, I want you to be my Lord and Saviour. Raise your hand now and don't fear what other people are thinking. Don't let your mind get in the way. Just raise your hand. Thank you. I see that hand. That's wonderful. Anyone else want to join them? Just raise your hand now. Thank you. That's wonderful. Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome God. I see that hand. Would anyone else like to join these people in saying yes to God today? Okay, we're going to pray. I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to say these words out with me. 
So follow after me and everyone in the church will do it. So it won't be you on your own. Just speak these words and this is how you ask God to come into your life. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. That's fantastic. Well done to those people that made that decision today. This whole church is backing you and we want to pray for you. We want to give you what you need to get started on this journey with God. So if you feel like you are brave enough, I want to ask you to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. But I also want to open this altar up to anybody who wants prayer. As we all worship and the presence of God is here, we know that we have a powerful God that can meet our every need. So if you have a need or if you are feeling God um, prompting you to come forward, come forward now as the band plays. God, we thank You that Your presence is here, that nothing is impossible for You. And God, we just want to give You honour, we give You respect, and we stand in awe of You this morning. Amen.